Well, my goal is to keep this section awake this morning, so some of y'all might have your hair blown back this morning, if you have it, if you have it. Sorry, Jerry. Bob Benson, an author, wrote a bunch of books. In one of them, he talks about a friend of his who had a heart attack, and, uh, and it didn't look like his friend was going to survive. And after many weeks of recovery, he finally sat down with him. And he said, well, how did you like your heart attack? And he said, well, it, was, it scared me to death. What are, you, are you kidding me? He said, uh, would you do it again? He said, no. He said, well, would you recommend it? And Bob asked. And he said, definitely not. And then Bob said to him, he said, uh, now, does your life mean more to you now than it did before your heart attack? And he said, well, yeah. And your wife, you've always had a beautiful relationship, but aren't you closer now than ever before? Didn't you tell me that? He said, yes. Well, do, do you have a new compassion for people, a deeper understanding and, and sympathy? Yes, I do, he said. Do you know the Lord in a, a richer way, a deeper way than you ever did before? And he said, yes. And he said, well, how'd you like your heart attack? <laughs> Now, that, that makes light of a pretty serious situation. But you see, the point is that we don't always like what happens to us in life. And in fact, in a fallen world, in a broken world, God doesn't always like what happens to us. And we can't always choose what happens to us. But we are stewards of what happens to us. Even your grief, you're stewards of it. Because there is a potential message in that mess. It may be a message to you. It may be a message through you. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at second chances. How God can turn your mess into a message. And the way that we're called to steward them. Steward those messages. That is such a great and hopeful picture, not only of, of the future, but of now. And especially this morning, when we, when we think about the fact that, that we don't always like who we are right now. Maybe we don't like what, what happens to us, but, but sometimes we don't even like who we are right now, the status quo. How do we have a second chance at the status quo? Where is the power to change, in other words? What is the power? What brings us the power to change, to get out of our rut? That's what we're going to be covering this morning as we start this series. And the answer I think you're going to see is that the power, the power comes in pardon. There's power in pardon. From the Word of God... Romans chapter 4, I hope you'll follow, follow along with your Bible. If you don't have one, look at the screens. Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. Hear God's word this morning. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, in other words, by what he did, He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, he believes in him. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, quote, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins, unquote. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it counted before or after he'd been circumcised? It was counted not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. May God add his blessing to this, his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, you are the light of the world, and may we be reminded this morning that your word is a light unto our very path, and so we pray that you would light our way this morning and give us a next step. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a motivational video by Shia LaBeouf that's a good thing to watch during, during January uh, in which he says, he keeps repeating, he says, yesterday you said tomorrow. Have you seen this? He's, he's, he's against a green screen and every time, and then he'll say, just do it. And he kind of flexes, you know, just do it. You know, he keeps saying that over and over again. And, and people have done different crazy things with this uh, motivational speech. Uh, it, there's one that I've seen where every time he says, just do it, you know, the, the, the explosions <laughs> behind him get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then finally, it's just like, just do it. Like the whole thing is like, Poof, you know, and, and he's, he's trying to motivate us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to every prison guard, every warden who wonders what can change the human heart. He's talking to every parent, every teacher who wonders how, how do we get how do, how do we get this person to behave? He's talking to every person who's ever made a New Year's resolution who said, I'm going to lose uh, 10 pounds this, this year. And now I have uh, 13 to go. <laughs> Just 13 left to go. How do, we, how do we find the power to change? Where's the real power to change the human heart? The power is in pardon, forgiveness, power of pardon. That's what we're talking about this morning, the power of pardon. There's power in pardon. You know, you just think of pardon as just, oh, isn't that nice, assurance for, for the future. Where's the power to change now? It's in pardon. There's power in pardon. So we're going to look at what, what pardon, what power, what change. That's it. That's the sermon. What, part, what pardon, what power, what change. First, what pardon, what pardon. What is the pardon that Abraham receives? He receives the pardon of a full slate, not a blank slate. Now, this, this series is called Second Chances. A lot of times you think of Christianity. Let, let me tell you what people say Christianity is, but it's not. Christianity is not a blank slate. 
A lot of times people say, you know, when, when you're forgiven, you get a blank slate. Not so. Abraham was not given a blank slate to start over and try harder next time. That's not Christianity. That's religion. That's moralism. What pardon did Abraham receive? He didn't receive a blank slate to try harder next time. He received a perfect slate. A perfect slate. Imagine, you know, you think, you know, I'm a good student, but I'm a bad test taker. And now imagine, you know, you're trying to get into college, and, uh, you know, it's getting harder and harder to get into to the school of your dreams. And imagine that you receive a letter in the mail from the college board, and it says, you know what? We like you. We think you're great. Uh, we don't think that you're getting the credit that you deserve, that, 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 that you should get, the recognition you should get. So we've, we've decided to give you a 1600 on the SAT. There it is. What is that? Is that a blank slate? It says in verse 3, Abraham believed God. What did he do? He believed God. He didn't do anything. He just believed what had already been done. He was given a gift. All he did was receive it. He believed. He received it. God said, here, I'm going to reckon to you as righteousness on the basis of your belief that you're forgiven, that you're justified. Righteousness. It's not a word that we connect with, is it? I mean, you know, unless... Unless, you know, you're, you know, uh, what's the, what, what was his first name? Spicoli, you know? I mean, he always talked about being righteous. Fast Times at Richmond High, you remember that all? That's the only movie I can remember where someone actually uses the word righteous, you know? I mean, it, it, maybe it's surfers out in California or Hawaii somewhere, they use the word right. We don't connect with that word. What does it mean? Let me give you a little illustration of what righteousness is all about because everyone wants to be righteous, whether you believe it or not. We all want to be righteous. Everyone wants it. Now, my favorite movie used to be Chariots of Fire. And it really, it really broke my heart, hurt my feelings when I tried to introduce my kids to it. And they hated it. You know, it's just like there's nothing, nothing blows up in it. There are no car chases. It's very slow. And there are, there are points in the movie where nothing actually happens. You're just waiting. It's quiet, silent. Those old, older movies, you know, it's just like, man, sometimes you can hear the crickets, you know. But the story is so incredible. It's that story of Eric Little, you know, 1924 Olympic Games. And Eric Little is this amazing runner from Scotland. But there's a contrasting figure in it. And that's what I want to talk to you about. There's this contrasting figure named Harold Abrams. And Harold Abrams is an unsettled, anxious soul. And in, in the qualifying race, he's, a, he's an incredible sprinter. Ran the 100 yards almost at, I mean, at that point almost as fast as anyone. Ended up you know, winning the gold medal for the 100 yards. But in the qualifying race, in the lead up to it, the way it's depicted in, in, in the film, he's, he's sitting there talking with one of his teammates, and he says this. You know, he, he says, are you nervous? He says, yeah. He says, why? He says, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. That's works. That's works. You know, if, if, if we get somewhere, if we, if we become 
validated. See, that's what righteousness is. It's like, it's the idea that you're at peace with yourself, with God, and with the life, the universe, and everything. There is a, a word spoken over your life, and it, and it says, everything is settled. You are okay. There is peace between you and the rest of your life. There's peace between you and your salvation. There's peace between you and eternity. That's what it means to be righteous. And Abraham, <laughs> see the difference between Abram and Abraham. Abram's in, in, the, in the film. An anxious soul who's working for his salvation. And even after he wins the gold medal, he realizes it's not enough. It's not enough. Abraham is given not a blank slate to try harder next time, to run a little faster, to do a little more, to pray more. He's given a perfect slate, a 1600 on the SAT, a perfect slate. That's the pardon. And you say, well, okay, well, (laughs) I see the pardon, but where's the power? I mean, if we're given a perfect slate, doesn't that just give us permission to be lazy? I mean, where's the power to change now? I mean, I understand it's a promise for the future, but where's the power to change now if, if what Christianity is about is about believing that God has imputed or reckoned to you or credited to your account righteousness, a perfect slate that can never be taken away? Where's the power to change in that? Well, here's the power. It's to be known, warts and all, and yet accepted. We're going to explore why that's powerful. The reason is, you cannot receive that promise, truly receive that promise, without getting personal with God, and as a result, being influenced by Him. There's power and influence. Being, in other words, being known, warts and all, and yet accepted, is a powerful influence in your life. I'm going to show you how. Uh, I'm going to take you back to my college days. I had several roommates. And uh, one morning I came out, and uh, the, the box of Cocoa Puffs that, um, that I had bought the day before was on the, was on the kitchen table. And uh, you say, Cocoa Puffs, yeah, don't judge, don't judge. I was 19 years old, give me a break. I, everybody back then was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay? Uh, and, and, and so, <laughs> it's true. And so, and so it, it was sitting on the table, and half of that box was in, not a, not a cereal bowl, a mixing bowl. <laughs> My college roommate had a mixing bowl, and he was eating half of the box of Cocoa Puffs, out of a mixing bowl with a serving spoon, all right? This was normal. This was normal. But I had just bought these the day before. I said to him, Hammy, I said, I love you despite yourself. I love you despite yourself. And this is something that, that I'd said to him a number of times, and he started saying it back to me because it was kind of a shock. Later on, he told me, when you said that to me uh, the first couple of times, it was kind of a shock to me. He said, I love you despite yourself. Despite yourself. And then he realized, wait a minute. You see me, warts and all, and yet you accept me. Huh, that's different. 
You know, George Washington sat at the end of his life for a portrait, and he said, paint me, warts and all. He wanted to be seen. When you're seen, like not just we're denying the, the parts of you that we don't want to see, but when you're seen, warts and all, and yet accepted, that gets your attention. That rings your bell. That tells you that there's a value and a purpose to you. There's a worth to you that's bigger than anything you can do. It says you have a new identity. It says that you have, you, you, your, your life is founded and grounded and secured on something apart from anything that you can do or anything that you can do that might be bad. Anything that you can do that you could achieve, anything that you could do to lose it, you can't because your worth is in you. The way I like to put it is, you are unworthy, but not worthless. See that? That has influence. You look at verse 5, it says, the one who, who does, who works, is someone who, who has due to them wages, right? The idea there is, I earned it. God, you owe me, right? I worked for it. You owe me. That's what it means to work. But when it's a gift, when it's a gift, here's what happens. You can only receive it by relating, by knowing someone. When it says that Abraham believed God, it means it didn't, I believe in God, I believe there is a God. He's, he's connecting personally with God, and God is saying, that's the connection I'm looking for. That's the connection that's life-changing. That's the connection that opens up lines of communication and influence. Because when somebody that you think is the most admirable person sees you, warts and all, and yet still accepts you, boy, that's a powerful motivator. It's a powerful motivator. That, that level of recognition, of knowledge is a powerful motivator to change. You know, today in our day and age, there's a, there's a famous turn of the phrase that is really getting raked over the coals, that's really getting pummeled as if it were something bad. Have you heard this? Love the sinner, hate the sin is now being denigrated as though it were just something condescending. As if the only way that you would say that is, is from a place of superiority and pride. No, no. See, that's about being truly known. You know, the, the way, I'll tell you why this is being rejected. It's because everybody wants to write their own rules, you know? I mean, if one of my kids says, you know what? Um, I'm sorry I slammed the door. No, I'm not sorry I slammed the door. I'm just a door slammer. That's just who I, that's how God made me. You just have to love me the way I am. I'm just a door slammer, all right? I, actually, uh, a friend of mine's, uh, teenager said this some years ago, and he said, well, guess what? That's my door. I'm taking it. He took it off the hinges. I actually took a door to his room and, and said, I own the door. It's mine. Sorry. If you're going to be a door slammer. See, what happens, what, what happens in the Christian life is we're not pretending or denying that slamming the door is a problem. In our day and age, what, what we're calling grace is actually cheap grace. It's saying, you know what? The issues with me, the problems with it, they're not really problems. Accept me as I am. And what that means is, of course, Christianity says, 
Yeah, come as you are. You're accepted just as you are, warts and all. But when the world says it, what it says is, accept me as my, I am and leave me that way. Leave me that way. Christianity says, you're accepted as you are, but don't expect to be left that way. There's power in being accepted and seen for what you are. And calling, when I said to my roommate, I love you despite yourself, I didn't pretend that it wasn't a problem that you ate half the cereal, right? I didn't pretend, I didn't deny that it was a problem, and that's not, that's not loving somebody more, it's loving somebody less because you're ignoring something that's actually a problem. But when I say, it is a problem, but I love you anyway, that's the dynamic Christian love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the kind of acceptance that he has for us that's dynamic. It sees you for what you are. It calls what you, what's wrong with you wrong with you. It doesn't pretend that there's something not wrong with you and calling it grace. You see the difference? See, this is what Abraham was experiencing. He's experiencing an acceptance, warts and all. So there's the power. There's the power. It's influential. But power, power for what? We, we talked about pardon. The pardon is you get, a, you get a full slate, a perfect slate, not a blank slate to try again, try harder next time. Where's the power? The power is in, in accept, being accepted, warts and all. To be known, truly known, and not, not to, to have denied or ignored those problems within you, but to be loved anyway. Now there's an open line of communication, an influential conversation that you're having with a real person. A real person. There's real power in that. But power to do what? And power to change. Where's the power to change? And the power to change is in the root of your desire. That's what happens. When you're pardoned, when you really believe it, when you really receive that pardon, when you recognize that you're being received not just sort of overlooking the warts, but despite the warts, your desires begin to change. The, the awe that you have for the God of the universe who looks upon you with love, with acceptance, that begins to make you want to love him back. It begins to make you want to please him. It, it begins when it really gets in, when it's, when it's a relationship, when it's a real connection, when you say, Guys, I really experienced that. I believe that's true. I believe he accepts me, warts and all. When you actually believe it, there's a personal connection there. And guess what? It gets in to your desire to where, now listen to this. <laughs> this is how I like to put it. This is how I like to think of it. Your should do becomes get to. Your should do. All those things you should do, they become get to. When your should do begins to become get to, when you have a desire to do it, because you trust the person. See, belief is something that we experience on the inside. Belief and, and knowledge of God, knowing God personally and believing that what he's saying about your life, warts and all, that you're saying, okay, yeah, I do believe it. Wow, that's amazing. But when you trust, it's like, you know, if, if you ever go to a ropes course and, and you have to do the trust fall, 
I mean, if you stand up there and you say, yeah, I believe you can catch me, next. You know, that, you, you don't get off that easy, right? Trust fall, you have to actually fall back and let them catch you. Right? That's outward. See, trust is an outward expression of what's going on on the inside. And that's what happens when you begin to believe in what God is saying to you through the gospel. It begins to come out. Your should do starts to feel more like get to. I love this story that Francis Chan tells about uh, telling his daughter to go clean her room. He says, you know, your room's a shambles. Um, it's important. You know, it's just important. And I, I, I'd like you to go clean your room. And uh, he said, well, imagine uh, if she came back later and said, said this. Hey, Dad, um, about the cleaning, cleaning the room thing? Yeah. I memorized what you said. Yeah, I memorized it. In fact, I, I needle-pointed it. I put it right next to my mirror. And you know, my friends are going to get together uh, later, and we're going to study what do you really mean by that. Like, like, like where's, the, where's the real action verb there? And we're going to talk about it, and, and we're going to pray about it, and we're going to think about it, and we're going to have a whole Bible study. Right? May, maybe it'll be a whole series on what did he mean? What, what, what does he want for us when, when, when he says, go clean your room? <laughs> oh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I memorized what you said. <laughs> Go clean your room. <clears throat> Let's try that again, young lady, you know? Let's try that again. You see, we don't always like what God is asking us to do. Do you? I don't. We don't always like what our parents, any authority figure we don't always like what, but when we trust them, when we believe they have our best interest in mind, even discipline, we recognize, is something for us, not just from us. Something that God wants for us, not just from us. And <laughs> it begins to feel different because you're talking about a person. You know, when you start growing up, you realize all those things, those lines that my parents drew for me. You know, they were drawing them to give me a point of reference to help guide me. Uh, and, and those things that when I had to help with that thing over there and when I had to just do it, even though I didn't really un even understand it, you know, now I recognize looking back, they really did have my best interest in mind. It, it, there, there was even some discipline in, in what they were saying to teach me how to be a disciplined person. Thank you. You know, the, the, the teachers that we love the most, the teachers that, that later on in life we, we actually take time to thank are the ones who really so believed in us that sometimes they, they pushed us and they, they disciplined us. We don't understand it or like it at the time. But then we begin to recognize, when we begin to recognize what that looks like, should do starts to feel a little bit more like get to. Should do starts feeling more like get to. And there's the change. Your motivation begins to change. Your desires begin to change. What you want begins to change. What, you, what, what you're grasping for, what defines you, begins to change. There's a, this whole awkward thing about circumcision in here that I almost forgot that maybe it, I wish maybe later uh, I'll wish that I had just gone on without mentioning it. But 
But, but, but it's an image here of, it's so important, so vital. It's, it's the mark, outward mark of a covenant. It's an outward mark of obedience. That before that, that Abraham had that outward mark, you know, originally, you know, what, what you heard read by, by Ben was to cut animals in half. Then that, that cut was marked on human flesh. I know it's kind of awkward, but, you know, think of uh, baby boys have it all the time. It's, it's just part of life. But, but think of it this way. There, there's another place where there was an outward sign of trust, too, where, where Abraham takes his son, his only son, whom you love. That's how it put, uh, it's put in Genesis 17. He says, Abraham, take your son, Isaac, your only son, whom you love. Take him and sacrifice him up on, on Mount Moriah. And right when he's about to, to cut that covenant, to say, I trust you, Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. An angel comes and said, hold on. Now we know that you actually believe. We see it on the outside. That's trust. The desire, should do, begins to become get to. This is how uh, John Newton, the, the writer of Amazing Grace, put it in another hymn. He said, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we've seen his beauty, are joined apart no more. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we've seen his beauty, are joined apart no more. Duty becomes desire. To be known, warts and all. Pardoned. Opens lines of communication and influence that change our desire. In this new year, don't just consider that you have some blank slate where you've just got to try harder and try harder. Go back to square one. It's not a blank slate. It's a perfect slate. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that through Christ's sacrifice, through Christ's work, you've done the work that we could not do You've given us a gift. Lord, help us in this new year that through the gift that you've given, we may know you, the giver. In Jesus we pray, amen.